How you doing? This is Lance Henriksen, and you're going to listen to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye by Saturday night. Hello, Crab Nebula Rangoons, and welcome to TalkCast 238, another attempt to fill your mind with what passes for nonsensical science fiction. Deep in Area 51, on the sub-level 664 intergalactic zero-g tuxedo rental and penguin rookery, since the melting of Antarctica, the only place left in the Alpha Quadrant for fresh farm-raised penguins, I am the man without a gnome, known only as the Dome. That rhymed. It wasn't supposed to. Anyway. Joining the talk cast tonight are the usual suspects. In the Revere Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen, Contessa of Sparkles and Stuff, Vice Princess of Rhetoric, it's our own girl genius, Kriana. I'm hoping to be promoted to Virtual Princess of Rhetoric tonight. Well, we'll see if we can make that happen for you. We'll talk to the Queen of Hearts. From the stacks in a personal calm space in the Dank Dungeons reading rooms, only indoor zen and vegetable garden, which doubles as a robot reading room. Tonight playing Cat Herder because cats, it's Zombrarian. I tried to come up with something funny on the fly, and all I could think to say was, hello. <laughs> That's great! Funny. So, hello. <laughs> From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, our lovely Ginger Ingenue, the woman we've come to know and love, as the Queen of the Angora Sweater in her pinup series for Girlfriends of Famous Monsters of Filmland, it's the Dead Redhead. And I'm with Barnabas the Cat tonight. Uh, so it's cat herding across the board. That's right. Our guest tonight, in breaking with the format as we've been doing, I, you know, I honestly don't believe there's a format I'm anymore because we, we haven't had one in months. Uh, we have two guests tonight. From StoryBundle.com, Christine Rausch, author of Anniversary Day. And later on in the show, um, some guy named Peter Vinton Jr. Who is that? <laughs> and we may have actually had him on once or twice before. And I thought we decided, not, well, never mind. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but to start off the show, our first guest. There's Hello. No, there's no school <laughs> there interlude is? there. I was... Ready for the musical thing. Kriana, where's the musical thing? I was I was confused about the order we were doing things in. So. That's okay because we actually don't have a musical thing for guests, but and we should, but we don't. Well now I'm really confused. <laughs> Last week from Storybundle.com we had a bunch of authors in the cosmic sci-fi bundle, and one of whom that we tried to get on and couldn't make happen. Uh, and I said, Can you do this week? And she went, Uh-huh. 
Christine Roush. Christine, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thanks, Dom. And having never heard the show before, are you sorry you've decided to come on? No, seriously. No, actually, you guys make me miss science fiction conventions. I really want to go hang out with my friends now. Well, you know, we've got a bunch of them coming up here in the Northeast. Come on up anytime. I know, but they see, that's what caused the confusion the last time. You said evening. I live in the Northwest. You know, it's three hours. Uh, it was a time issue. It, yeah, it, it always is with us one way or another. But anyhow... <laughs> You guys need Time Lords, that's what you mean. Uh, you know, we could we could use Peter Capaldi on the show, there's no question about it. Yes. Oh, this is fantastic. So, you're in the Cosmic Sci-Fi Bundle for one of your book series, uh, I think. It's uh, a retrieval artist novel called Anniversary Day. That's right. That's right. I do a series. Go ahead. But what people don't know about you is not only do you write science fiction, and you write it very well, I might add, but you also write spy novels and mystery and romance and fantasy. And this one is kind of a melange of a bunch of them. You mean a melange? No, I like melange better. It's like, you know, what Mul- say. It's, it's, like, um, it's like Mulan and Moulin Rouge had a baby. And it was Mulange. Moulage? Is that what you said? That's, yeah, that's, that's close that's, enough. That's what I heard. Okay, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Anniversary Day and what the story is about. Okay, well, the Retrieval Artist Universe I've been dabbling in for, geez, 12 years now. The first book was The Disappeared. And it's um, the Miles Flint is my main character. He's a retrieval artist. This world is... Uh, really this universe really huge and the stories mostly take place on the moon but there's an earth alliance and in order to make everything with all aliens work they've set it up so that if you commit a crime on an alien planet the alien laws apply and retrieval and people so it's basically just like international law it is but you know i've gotten in a lot of trouble from reviewers who say nobody would put up with that sidebar we all do (laughs) (laughs) reality check guys I just love that but you know uh, people human because alien laws are truly alien you know you step on a flower you may have to give them your firstborn Um, well we covered this on Star Trek The Next Generation fairly thoroughly yes exactly (laughs) well you get it Ben I do Um, I totally are you kidding me that was a very traumatic episode for me yeah it's, it's that sort of thing and so human beings will occasionally like get a whole new identity rather than try to deal with the law. And retrieval artists will find them after you know the the law is expired or something, or give them an inheritance. That's my character. Well, about nine books in, which is anniversary day, all the other books stand alone. They're standalone mysteries set on the moon. Anniversary day is about a major bombing on the moon, and all this stuff happens and. It's this. It, I didn't realize that it was the start of a saga inside the series. <laughs> can I get more complicated? Um, and <laughs> yes, yes, I believe you can. And are you about to? I am about to because I'm about to tell you that after I wrote Anniversary Day, which is just the start of the saga inside the series, I realized it goes for another oh six or seven books, and the next book, Blowback, is out, and the remaining books will start coming out in January, one a month until they're done. So, 
that's what I'm and, working on right now. And, and they're done day, when you say so. <laughs> the anniversary day is the beginning of the saga, and you can just jump in there. You don't have to read any of the previous books, and that's why it's in the bundle. You got a great review from io9. Yes. Uh, and this is high praise for anyone. One of the top ten greatest science fiction detectives of all time. Ooh. Yeah, they're talking about Miles Flint. Holy crap. I that, was, that, that takes a I, lot of hubris to write that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I didn't write that. They wrote no, that. No, I know. But Miles. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. So for those people who aren't knowledgeable about who you are and what you've written, and if you're not, shame on you. She's won Hugo Awards for uh, her work in uh, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction and for short fiction. She's won Asimov Science Fiction Magazine Reader's Choice Award. She's won the Analog Award uh, for it, the Analog Magazine uh, Reader's Choice, Locus Award, and the John W. Campbell Award. Um, not bad. Yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> so... Where did it start? How how did you get? Where did this whole writing thing start anyway? No, no. See, I'm not going to pull that one. <laughs> yeah, I blame my sister. I'm I'm uh, 20 years younger than my siblings. I was an afterthought, a surprise. My my parents call me a New York dividend. Uh, <laughs> you know, or what happens? AKA that, that's an adorable way to say an accident. Yeah, that's right. They say AKA what happens when you take your son to college. Um, and, <laughs> and my sister was going to college when I was little and so she was studying to be a teacher so she taught me how to read before I can even remember how to read how to talk I don't know she taught me I must have been two or three she taught me how to read so my whole life I've I've done that and uh, I wanted to write from that moment on and I have it's it's just been an eight and so I've been writing since little little thing and then I met Kevin, fast forward many years, met Kevin J. Anderson when we were in college together. and You know, talked. that guy is the most popular guy that everyone always tells us about that we've never actually talked to. You better talk to Kev. He's great. But, I mean, we, we went to college together. I was best person at his wedding. Um, we've been friends since, well, you know, for a very long time. And he's the one who taught me that, you know, there were things like genre. I didn't know that. And he taught me that you could mail your stuff out and make money at it and... All that fun stuff, so. My sister and Kevin. <laughs> so you really weren't a science fiction addict growing up? Oh, I sure was. I read Andre Norton. I watched Star Trek. Um, I just didn't know what a genre was. You know, I didn't know that there were these people who went into the bookstore and went to a section. I thought you just going to do a bookstore and bought books from all over the store. So I just read everything. <laughs> well, you do. <laughs> That's, That's what I do. do. I still do it. I just didn't know that there were people that, you know, limited themselves to one section. So growing up, uh, reading science fiction, what were your uh, what were your muses growing up? Reading science fiction, Andre Norton was right there. I realized I have to dig in because I didn't know what the genre was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to kind of make myself aware in hindsight. Um 
I was just talking to my sister today, as a matter of fact, um, and we were talking about the fact that Daniel Keyes died. He wrote Flowers for Algernon. Right, we talked we, about we that last week. We did talk about that, yes. Yeah, and she had given me that book when I was a kid. I love that book. That was a major influence. Um, and then my father was a college professor, so um, when I was waiting for him, I always waited for him at the library, and what I would read were all the science fiction anthologies that came in to the library, they would always be in the new book section, so I read Universe and Orbit and all of those things, and Year's Bests and everything like that. And that's that was my reading. It was It was all over the map. I didn't realize I was reading science fiction. I read a lot of alternate history stuff, not knowing what that was either. Um, and I can't tell you who the authors are because I didn't pay attention to authors back then, which is a terrible <laughs> Don't thing you feel silly thing. now! <laughs> <laughs> so how did you end up working for uh, uh magazine of science fiction, fantasy and science fiction? Well, my husband, Dean Wesley Smith, and I started a publishing company called Pulp House Publishing. And um, we did basically science fiction anthology series like Orbit and that, Pulp House. That was in the early 90s. And one day, and I was still mailing out short stories and doing all that stuff. And one day I get this phone call from a guy who says he's the editor of FNSF, editor and publisher of FNSF, and would I like to apply for the job of editor of FNSF? And the only reason I knew it wasn't a joke was because he mentioned a short story that was on his desk that he wanted to buy of mine that nobody else knew I had mailed to him. Ah. And, he, you know, so I said to him, do I have to move to Connecticut? And he said, no. And I said, sure, I'd be interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to live in Connecticut. Oh, I just didn't want to leave the so West Coast. <laughs> I will say this as someone who grew up in Connecticut. If you live in Connecticut, your entire being is focused on leaving Connecticut <laughs> as Isn't often kind of as case? possible. Isn't that kind of the case no matter where you grow up? No. Some places more than others. I've met people from, like, the Midwest and the West Coast, and they're like, yeah, I loved growing up here. It was great. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Luckily, it's not hard to leave Connecticut, because you drive for about 20 minutes in any direction, and you're out. Yep. Well, he, Sorry. Hired, me. he hired me in the middle and uh, to take his place. That was Ed Furman. He hired me to take his place um, as the editor, and I was there for six years. And, uh, well, I wasn't there. I was still on the West Coast. And you he were was still in here, but there, but there. That's but right. Here. Got it. Yeah. So you're actually in two different story bundles right now. I know. It was weird um, because <laughs> Peter asked me to be in, in the um, fantasy music, music fantasy story bundle. Um, and didn't tell me when it was going to go live. And, you know, I, I usually don't ask my fans to buy two different special things at the same time but this is a cool bundle for those of you who um, haven't looked you should go to the website and look you can get all this great music and some really good books about music um, not about music but they're like fantasy novels with music in them and um, and it, the bundle is set up so that each time a thousand people buy the bundle it'll unlock another uh, piece of music or you know album or book or, yeah or book or something for everybody else and um 
So if you bought the bundle right at the beginning of it, you'll still get these bonus things. Plus, everything goes to you can donate everything to charity too if you want. You know, if you want to pay twelve dollars for the bundle and get the whole thing and donate the whole thing to the charity that is this one, it's the same as the other bundle, which is the Clayton Memorial Medical Fund. Um, Joe well, Clayton. there's actually four of them for that one. Yeah, Mighty Writers, Girls Right Now, the Challenger Center, and the Clayton yes. Memorial Fund. Yeah, I was just going to get to the Challenger Center and the others, but the Clayton Memorial Medical Fund is on both of the right. bundles that I'm in. And um, Joe Clayton, it was set up when Joe Clayton, the writer, was very ill in the mid-90s, and it was set up out of the Northwest Convention area. And Jay Lake, who had just died in, Jan in June, uh, also a friend of mine, um, asked that all the donations go to the Clayton Memorial Medical Fund. I can't tell you how many people that fund, how many writers, how many of your favorite writers that fund has helped. Because, you know, up until the changes in the health care law, writers couldn't get insurance if they were self-employed. And it was really, really a godsend to have something like the Clayton Memorial Medical Fund around. So what brought you to Story Bundle? Um, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> universe you didn't know that did you <laughs> no evidently all things go to kevin at this That's point right. kevin did a um bundle last J july and he asked me to be part of it and he brought me into story bundle and now I've, I've jason tells me i've probably done more story bundles than anybody that's but that's because i've got more pen names so if he does a romance story <laughs> bundle i have a pen name christine grayson and he puts it in there and <laughs> you know and that's kind of how it's been working but now can yeah. you tell us why you decide to do that why do you decide to have all the different pen names well it goes back to publishing has changed a lot in the last five years with the with you know the nooks and the Kindles and all of that, but before that, when you could only be traditionally published, they looked at your numbers to give you an offer for another. And you cross genres because romance is the biggest genre of all, and so if I had a medium-selling romance and I decided to publish the book under Rush, they would look at my Rush numbers from science fiction and say, oh, well, her books don't sell very well, so they wouldn't buy the romance book. Conversely, if I would publish a romance novel under Rush and then a science fiction novel under Rush and then another romance, they would say, why didn't her second book sell very well? Um, so you had to do it if you switched genres just to make sure that you could actually get another book deal. So it wasn't a, really a choice as far as I was concerned. If I wanted to write in as many genres as I read, I had to have different names. If I were just coming in now as a writer, I wouldn't make that choice. You don't have that problem now if you decide to go independent and, and not worry about what's going on in traditional publishing. If you look at storybundle.com, and we'll have links to all of it, there are currently four different bundles sitting up now. I don't know that Jason's ever done that before. Had four running at the same time. I don't think he has had four running at the same time. He's he's upped it so that he's going to have more. And if you hear moaning around here, it's because my cat Galahad has just joined the conversation since you guys were talking about cat herding. <laughs> Mal Malcolm's been my co-host for, for the entire show so far. He is currently napping. Yeah, well, Galahad's currently investigating the computer and meowing at the top of his little voice. So oh, if perfect. You hear, um, that's what's going on. But Not yeah, a Jason has ever done four. Um, and, you know, I just, I went and looked around, poked around the crime bundle. There's a crime bundle. And boy, an, yeah, right now you're in the fantasy music bundle, 
Cosmic Science Fiction Bundle. There's also an International Crime Bundle and a Weird Fiction Bundle. Yeah, I haven't looked at the Weird Fiction, except I know that Jeff Vandermeer um, curated it. But um, the Crime Bundle, wow, has it got some good authors in there. If you like crime fiction, and I'm not in it, and here I am plugging it. But um, <laughs> there's some really good right. He's Jason's putting together some really, really good bundles. If yeah, you're absolutely. you're you want to get a lot to read, just <laughs> just go through Story Bundle. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just makes more sense to go at it this way uh, in looking for new fiction to read because the biggest problem is there's just so many outlets right now, and if you go to some of the bigger outlets. You're kind of inundated with, here's here's a story, here, here's a book, but it's 10 bucks. And I'm going, well, wait a minute, I can buy the paperback of it for $7.99. Why am I buying an e-version of it for $10? Oh, isn't that ridiculous? You That's know, so <clears throat> that actually brings me into one of my news articles. And, and Christine, if you've ever listened to me, um, I, I would recommend going back and searching for Tracy Hickman. And oh, yeah. finding any any of the shows that we've done with him because he, he and I have amazing discussions about the ridiculosity of the state of ebook pricing. The ridiculosity and R- another r- new ridiculosity. Word. Yes, um, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> honestly, that's pretty much why I don't buy ebooks except for from places like StoryBundle.com because what the fuck are they thinking? Honestly, what New York is trying to do, what the traditional publishers are trying to do, is they're trying to get rid of my favorite format, which is the mass market paperback. And they want you to buy an ebook instead. And but, but how would that ever happen when the mass market paperback is still cheaper than the ebook? Because they're getting rid of them. They're not producing them, and um, bookstores are not slotting them anymore. That's you know where they, they put the racks up and stuff. Hmm. They don't have as many of them. And so you'll notice now that mass market paperbacks are roughly $10, which is a ridiculous price for a mass market paperback. And then, and then they changed about, what, five, six years ago, they changed the size so that they don't fit in the old paperback racks anymore. They're too tall. Those sons of bitches. Yeah, and they're just trying to manipulate you into buying the ebooks instead. But they well, got- here's the deal. Well, what, I they- want to buy the freaking ebook. No, I know. And they got their undies in a bundle because about oh, three, four years ago, um, fans got really upset that they couldn't buy the ebook at the same time the hardcover came out mm-hmm. because they were trying to what's called window the book and make it wait six months. Because and that's the stupidest thing you could possibly take from the movie industry. You know, let's take the stupidest idea the movie industry's <laughs> ever had. Let's use that one. Okay, sounds it's, good. You just described publishing. But, so, <laughs> <laughs> I like this one. Let's keep her. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they did and then they and so what they're trying to do is they do the $12 ebook because it's half price for the hardcover so that you if you really want to buy your ebook at the same time as the hardcover well then you got to pay $12. Guess what's easier to, than that? BitTorrent. <laughs> if you want to wait a year and buy it at the same time as the mass market paperback which they're not producing anyway then you can buy it under $10. You know under $10 is still fucking ridiculous. Let's start with under $5, and then we'll see. Well, you know, they have overhead. They gotta pay for No, they don't! That's that's what kills me, is they have no overhead for that book at that point. 
Actually, have, well, you're not buying ebooks, so you don't know. When you but I would if they were priced at at a reasonable level. I do okay. know because I sell Wait. software Wait. applications for ninety nine cents a pop. But yes, but what you're missing is that a lot of the ebooks that came out of New York, um, especially two or three years ago, weren't proof. They were just scammed. That's so not my problem. Oh, it is. <laughs> no, no, it's not because customers do not give a shit about fixed overhead. They do not. No, what I'm saying to you is that if it's scanned, a lot of words were not words inside the product. Well, as someone who accepted the fact that her Palm Pilot regularly converted periods into slashes and Ys into some unfathomable character and got through books that way, entire series of books that way, I could probably care less about that, and I can find a better copy online, probably. You could find a great copy online. Oh, it, yeah. it was just some of these books. Pirates are, are the best proofreaders. I know. Isn't that nice? It's very sweet of them. I think, you know, <laughs> if you're going to release something, you might as well if do you're it right. Steal, you may as well improve it. Well, no. You know, I think that, that they have an attitude that the publishers should have, which is if you're going to release something, you make it the very damn best that you possibly can. Because people freaking care. 100% agree. And if they did have that attitude, they'd be selling a hell of a lot more. Well, in theory, if the prices were right. It, and well, pop for and that's nothing. the thing, is, is that... Which is, which is a rental. You know, your ebook is a rental. It depends what format you purchase your ebook in. Yes, if you get an EPUB and then you, you move it off of your device and you move it somewhere else, you're fine. But if you just get a Moby out of Kindle, it's a rental. Well, that is right. that is the truth. Um, you can't argue with that. It's been proven time and time again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why, as I reiterate, I well, <clears throat> first of all, if you buy a book on Kindle... There are ways to future-proof it, which may or may not be actually legal, but they exist. Yes. Same with your music. Don't music is a whole different animal. Uh, music, that's, that's, there's no DRM on music anymore. They, no. They've learned that lesson. It's, it's gone, it's done. Um, the publishers are, are a little bit behind on that point, but, Depending you know... on the publisher. Since Some publishers are doing it... This is true. Here. I gotta give Tor the props that it's due. And this, this is the point where we do name names because we're not shaming. <laughs> <coughs> Tour props. Okay, we've done that. But, um, you know, since, since the Department of Justice decided to go after the natural monopoly for ebooks, which was clearly Apple and not Amazon, she says extremely sarcastically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um... Amazon has a stranglehold of, and they have this DRM built in, and it's just still very easy for publishers yeah. uh, to Amazon do it. Does, Amazon doesn't have DRM. Um, you can, uh, in fact, publishers can opt out of DRM, and Amazon started out without having DRM. Um, they don't and, make it and, easy. And the, publishers, the publishers demanded DRM, and so um, they added it in. So you could actually upload a book without DRM on Amazon, and a lot of smaller publishers do, like my publisher, WMG Publishing, doesn't have DRM on Amazon. Um, so, you know, that's just one of those myths about Amazon that's out there right now. And uh, it's kind of a funny one. Nice, Stan corrected that. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of them out there about Amazon. And Amazon doesn't even have a near monopoly. It's only in the United States that people think that. Um, most places around the world 
can get their book. First of all, you can get your books anywhere else if you look at the definition of a monopoly. Um, you can. I mean, well, there are certain terms that Amazon imposes, though, for certain for certain types of deals. No, Amazon's not the big bad here. Amazon's nothing more than a company. It's a retailer. It's a giant retailer. You can like that or not. It's like Walmart. Um, but it's just a giant retailer, and it's really big in the U.S., and it's not big anywhere else. Uh, the so, biggest Brianna. Thing, yes. Huh? Brianna, darling, how well, does this tie into BitLit? Oh, right. That is where I was going with that, isn't it? Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> sorry. Got sidetracked talking about interesting things. God! Uh, Billet is is an app, and it, it, it probably won't be around for much longer, um, just because I I can't imagine this going very far. It, it's a cool idea, but it's kind of stupid that that this is even a thing in this day and age. So the idea behind Billet is, as, as you said, Chris, people want their eBooks with their with their hard copies, you know. Um. And the idea is that for certain publishers, if you own a book previously, you, first of all, find the book in their app, if it exists there, because they only work with certain publishers so far, because this is legal-ish, and then once it's said, okay, I, I found this book that you say you own, you take a picture of your name written in ink on the copyright page of that book. Oh, good God. And then you send that to them, and they send you back an ebook. Yeah, it's... If you don't want to pirate something, I guess you could do this, but it seems ridiculous in this day and age. What I just want, I want all publishers to get to the point where if you buy a hard copy of a book, you get the ebook automatically. Because well, you know that's that's the dream, right? That's been the dream for movies. That's been the dream for music, and in some cases, Amazon, um, they're actively moving towards that dream. And in other cases, I'm looking at you, Ultraviolet, um, they're actively moving away. <laughs> yeah. So technology is simply a matter of whatever situational ethics the manufacturers and, and distributors decide. At exactly. the moment, yeah, Basically. and hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll smarten up because the market has changed decidedly. Uh, it's moving them out of their comfort zones, and I I don't think that's a bad idea. But uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I think the hope was with the publishing industry since it since it started its move well after that of the music and movie industry that it would sort of learn from the foibles thereof and the definitive answer has come across as they did not person who's been in publishing for 30 years is is having trouble containing herself no that's fine that was that was the dream it is it is a dream and it and it only was ever a dream unfortunately <laughs> didn't get past the daydream stage. Didn't even get to a sleeping dream. It was just a daydream. Actually, see the, the the phrase that was making me laugh was, "One would hope that the publishing industry would learn." And at that point, I I just had to giggle. Oh yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. Speaking of learning, because learning is good, and we all know it. But don't take my um, word for it. And fundamentals. Exactly. You knew exactly where I was going <laughs> I with did. this, didn't you? I did. I'm paying attention to that. 5,857 people said, LaVar, this is a great idea. 
and the Bring Back Reading Rainbow for Every Child Everywhere Kickstarter. So now wait a minute. I, I would like to point out here for one second that I am not a stingy person. I am not past paying for things that I love. No, okay? absolutely not. Because I have bought more books in my lifetime than most people ever do, and I I have probably still purchase more ebooks than most people ever do as many as i may acquire in other ways but and, yeah and who the publishers who, who put up their ebooks for like friggin' 12 dollars are just a stupid mostly stupid and are greedy mostly stupid mostly just stupid you know let's greedy. talk about something happy like reading but rainbow. reading rainbow fuck you yeah dome. i was being positive about reading rainbow 105,857 people said, let's bring it back and give it to every kid possible. I'm one it, of them. Yeah, and a lot of us are one of them. Who, who didn't fund it on this on this show right now? You no, know, but see, if you ask that, then you'd end up shaming somebody if they didn't fund they it. They should be ashamed. <laughs> $5.4 million. Isn't that cool? Wow. That's freaking amazing. Is there a more beloved childhood icon? I'm not sure there is. I think what, what LeVar Burton has done here is shown the universe that there is good stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Definitely good stuff happening. I cannot wait to see how this completely plays out. As little as $5, some of the pledges were well over $1,000. Uh, oh my God! You know some. Did of the anyone get that Star Trek one? A bunch of them. Uh, the group picnic and field trip with Levar Burton. Yes, somebody. Somebody did the library visit for ten grand. I know. Well, hey, plus God they, bless partnered up, they partnered up with a bunch of other stuff because I was part of. I, I'm a big Kickstarter geek, and I was part of the Veronica Mars Kickstarter too. Because oh, so was I. Oh. And did you get the email from the Veronica Mars people because they ended up giving a reward to mm. Reading Rainbow and partnering yeah, with Reading Rainbow? Oh. A bunch, a bunch of really popular Kickstarters did the Ouya console, the the gaming console. Right. The Dodo case did it. Um, they they have all sorts of all sorts of stuff. Oh man, they just they went crazy. Um, it was awesome. It was great. It was so exciting. It, and they and they 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 made their money in what twelve hours? Yep. Yeah, yeah, they were was, making a million dollars a day for the first few days. Yeah, that was just cool. This is uh, it, it's it's one of those things that just restores thing. your faith in humanity. Like it's it not all bad. <laughs> what it makes me feel is it makes me happy because all these suits out there who say, oh, you have to do it this way, they're running those studios and they're running book publishing and they're running, you know, music companies and stuff. And they're saying, well, you have to do it our way. We're tastemakers. And then they go, Kickstarter and other projects go around them and say, look, the fans want it. And guess what? The fans really do. And the fans are willing to put their money behind it to make it happen and make it happen in an even better way. Absolutely. I love that. That's right. This Hell this yeah! Is some of the coolest stuff around. And, and I mean, like, it's Lavar Burton. Like, who? <laughs> how do you not love him? I I want to know one person who doesn't love that man and why. Seriously. Could, so we can take him out and smack him around. Can Absolutely. you think of anyone more lovable in your entire life? Because I can't, except for Zombrarian, because you know. 
Because, yes, I'm very... And I'm sleeping with her, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say that. No, you don't have to say that. You want to say it. There's a difference. That's right. That one, what he said. Now, because we're also the sponsor, uh, one of our one of our biggest sponsors is Boston Comic Con, and Boston Comic Con is now less than, God, it's less than a month away. Is that for real? It's coming. It's coming up fast. Holy crap! With our uh, update on what's new with Boston Comic Con this week, Dead Redhead. Well, we've got a little mix of, and I did find out at To This Moment Dome, you asked me specifically to check on this, To This Moment, Sergio Aragonis is still coming. Uh, um, one of my favorite artists from Mad Magazine, and I've wanted to meet him for uh, years. Again, as the as the powers that be tell me, though, you know, life yes. happens, so there's no promise that way, but right now the contract is signed, so... That's the best we can do right now. That's a good place to be as far as I'm concerned. What else do we know that's going on? Uh, so um, I try to split them up both on the, the movie star side and then the uh, the cool people we really, really love side. Not that we don't love the movie star people, but speaking of which, Sean Astin is going to be coming. He was uh, a more recent add-on. Um, so if you want to come down and get pictures with him or get to talk to him, uh, Jewel State from Firefly, who is the lovely Kaylee. Uh, if you want to have her sign your overalls or whatever you want. I had the greatest discussion at work today with somebody about Jewel State. And Jewel State is the whole reason that they're going to Boston. Oh, well, there you go. And I said, okay, this is going to be good. And then they also admitted to me, yeah, I just actually sat down and watched Firefly. Oh, <laughs> Oops. Something that's kind of old and new coming together. For those of you who are old school rap fans, Daryl McDaniels, otherwise known as the DMC of Run DMC, is starting his own full independent comic publishing company. So he's going to have his first comic on display there, um, which is DMC Comics. Damien Scott, he's writing. Daryl McDaniels is writing. Damien Scott is the artist. And Dexter Vines, who's kind of a fan of the show, um, is going to be the inker. Oh, wow. Your whole inker. Yay, inkers! I love inkers. Dexter Vines is going to be inking it. So, And he's going to be presenting his comic and any of the other few comics that they're going to be starting with with their publishing. Oh, actually, speaking of inkers, I'm sorry, Dead Redhead, one second. I'm supposed to, under pain of death, mention this, that the the Inkwell Awards had their awards show ceremony thingy, and the results are in, and people won. And And Kriana will have a whole discussion of that next week, won't she? Um, Yes, you will. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe Bob would like to come and talk about it. Who knows? Maybe we'll make that happen. Hi, Bob. Um, On the artist artist side of it, Neil Adams will be back. For those of you who are big Neil Adams fans from the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and up into now, he's still doing things, and he comes down and always does a lot of... Last year, I think one of the big things people talked about was how Neil Adams was just working with kids. He would, like, have kids start to draw, and he would draw, like, or, or kind of pencil over some of their stuff to show them how to get better. For nothing, Jeez. just let them go on. 
with like, here's your first art lesson or what have you, which was really cool. Very uh, cool. Stephen Bisley, who is more of a big name in England than he is over here, but people who are Turtles fans and people who are fans of the comic Lobo. If you like Lobo, you know Simon Bisley's work, and he's a very interested man. Um, if you want to party with anybody, you probably want to party with Simon Bisley at the show. And last but not least this week, I want to mention a favorite of both Dome and I, who is going to be back, which I am thrilled about, Jeremy Bastion, who's oh, a cursed pirate girl. And if you have not seen Jeremy Bastion's work before. He's been on the show before and he's kind of a quiet guy, but if you've never seen his art, you you owe a favor to yourself to go see Jeremy Bastion's art and or pick up a copy of the hardback of the, the really nice oversize that they did of Cursed, Cursed Pirate, Pirate Girl. Girl. And then get out a magnifying glass because that's the only way you're going to be able to appreciate how detailed this man's work is. It's like from the old school, from the 1700s or something. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. He doesn't do art there because it takes him so long and because it's so detailed. But make sure if you are going to BCC to stop by Jeremy Bastion's table and buy something because he deserves your money. Because I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, uh, the piece of artwork that I bought from him holds a very cherished place on my wall. It is absolutely one Here of the most well. beautiful pieces well. I've ever ever owned. And I bought that book for several of our friends. I mean, whether they're old, young or older, like you can appreciate Cursed Pirate Girl. And oh my goodness, yeah, gorgeous, Just gorgeous. So. That's our update for this week. Thank you so much, darling. You are welcome. Uh, and at this point, I'd like to bring in our second guest, a uh, friend of the show uh, and, and someone who we've worked with for a number of years, Peter Vinton Jr. Peter, welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for having me on the show. This is, a, this is wonderful. A bit of a homecoming. Kind of old home week. I'm, I'm yeah, isn't home. it, though? I kind of like it. And <laughs> you're not on too. the show enough anymore. And, and, and <laughs> You know, we've kind of been working on the side on a project that we'll be talking about a little bit later. Oh, uh, yeah, not so not tonight. But there. Yeah, okay. yeah, that'll be yeah, some absolute fun. But, you know, about six months ago, you kind of whispered to me, right around July 4th, I've got this project that's going to be ready <laughs> to go. And I said, and, and, oh. yep. and I said, okay, can you tell me anything <laughs> about it? And you said, no, I can't. <laughs> And then about two days ago, I got an email, and I just kind of went, this looks cool. And the project is called the Monitor's Guild. That is correct. Um, and it, I'll say it's, it's been humbling, actually, uh, being on the show with uh, Christine, and I've gained more insight onto the nature and the history of the publishing industry in the past 45 minutes than I think I have in the past 20 years. Uh, it, it's actually been fascinating to listen to. Um, and, and part of it is there's a sense of guilt involved, but uh, I can attest that uh, my uh, graphic novel is coming out in both hardback and Kindle form simultaneously. Uh, <laughs> I'm not holding out on one and waiting to release the other. So you'll be able to Very buy them cool. both uh, for both tomorrow uh, on uh, the 4th of July. Ooh. It's a rather revolutionary and somewhat subversive theme. So that was the original intent in deciding to release it on the 4th. I wanted to go for April 19th, but that, that's a date that has some unfortunate negative connotations these days. 
but uh, yeah, it, uh, it's essentially it's uh, mostly set in Boston, but uh, it, uh, it, it, it the story is going to be kind of uh, waltzing all over the place. It's a seven-volume series, so I'm a long way off from bundle territory at this point for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, <although> I, <laughs> one day, one day I'll be in Christine's league. But when she says she's finished two novels, oh, was it four novels in two months? And then, well, I've just finished my first graphic novel. I know it took 20 years, so you know I get kind of a standard to meet here. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny hearing you listen uh, mentioning names such as Adams and Bisley because uh, the, 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 these are names I just practically get on my knees and worship for crying out loud. Again, the, the detailing and the pen and inking, and I guess it has to be said, I'm sure there was a bit of an influence in there, uh, and uh, hopefully one can uh, take note of that in the pages of the story itself. So let's uh, talk about definitely. the story itself, the monitor skill. Okay. Give us the background. All right. Uh, it's, uh, it's essentially, it's set in the year 2049, uh, and then overlaps into the year 2050. My goal was to create a somewhat more realistic view of the future, uh, extrapolating from current trends. The problem when you're creating a story that's set in the future, whether it's, you know, a couple of decades from now or a couple of centuries from now, inevitably, uh, you, it's hard to focus on the interconnectedness of where everything's going to advance. You might focus on the technology, but then forget about where the technology is going to bring social attitudes and then where the social attitudes are going to bring along uh, conventional understanding, where that's going to bring geopolitics, where that's going to bring in you know, entertainment standards. You, you have to extrapolate all of them. And so I'm painting what I hope is a fairly realistic view of the year 2050. It's mostly set in Boston. It is a seven-volume story that parallels uh, in a very uh, relaxed and very broad-based sense the events of the American Revolution. And uh, the sense of it is that, you know, the first revolution kicked off in Boston. It's time to kick off the second one. You know, more of that, uh, a long train of usurpations and abuses uh, evinces the same response. Uh, it's kind of a we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore kind of story. And my real question is, what makes you, what what made you want to go to this? I mean, this is this is a whole new area that you're branching out into now this, this, this is very much so yeah uh again if it's uh I, again i have to put in my plug for amazon and for the folks at create space too because they did allow me to retain creative control it's a drm free uh download by the way about that but it's a little bit different um it, it is a graphic novel uh, it's a 75 page graphic novel it is the first of what will be seven volumes uh, there is not a single spandex-clad metahuman anywhere in the story. So right oh, away, that's kind of telling you. I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's <laughs> so that, that right away. My my, my uh, original uh, assertion is: I think people in the year 2049 and the year 2050 are probably going to wear you know realistic-looking clothing. Uh, it, it won't be spandex uh, and chrome and. Uh, with no visible uh, uh, forms of zippers or buttons or what have you. I think clothing isn't going to be that drastically different in the air. And nobody will be so. mumbling, I am the law. <laughs> okay, good. No, unfortunately, although it, it, it was a more subtle thing. Like, for example, if somebody just happens to make a quick gesture in the air, like tapping their finger, their, their, their fingertip or index fingertip and their thumb together, just kind of a quick gesture, tap the two together and then put their hand back down, that means they're on the phone. Uh, there won't be any large, bulky devices the size of a pack of cigarettes that people will be walking around with. I mean, <laughs> communication will be much more ubiquitous. <laughs> communication will be more ubiquitous, but at the same time, uh, the bones won't show. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of a case of a surface level. So uh, it, it, 
it looks like the future, but uh, I, I wanted to make it look recognizable. I didn't want it to be like uh, looking at the world of, say, Starfleet headquarters in the 24th century, where everything is a space version of something. I said, nah, let's, let's go for realism. Let's make a chair look like a chair. Let's make a, you know, a, 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 a window look like a window, and make a car look like a car. More like the, the Battlestar Galactica approach, I think, you know, where, where things were recognizable, even though it was an otherworldly setting. So, I mean, Peter, I've known you like five, six years now. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I've known you just primarily as an artist. Correct. Yep. This, this, this what, takes it into a new direction. <laughs> yeah. What, what made you do it? What, where did this idea come from? It, it, it finds its origins in a whole lot of, as many uh, great stories, so a whole lot of misbehavior back in high school. <laughs> and that would have been in the eighties <laughs> for me. Um, the uh, the central character is, is kind of a uh, kind of a somewhat spooky looking cartoon doodle of this menacing looking figure with a bald head and uh, all watching eyeglass, uh, giant thick uh, coke bottle glasses, watching everybody. Kind of a Big Brother knockoff. A friend drew this little doodle as just an absent-minded cartoon doodle back in 86. Uh, we made a few photocopies and posted them around my high school in the manner of a, you know, a big brother is watching show of, I, I want to call it pretend intellectualism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the moment the high school administration voiced an objection to these posters, we realized we have a hit on our hands. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so the next couple of months, the school was plastered with copies of this character, this poster, uh, as well as we had miniaturized stickers, badges. We made T-shirts. God knows what the, the character turned up in the margins of the school paper, a la Sergio Aragonés. Um, <laughs> the character got himself an entry in the class of 87's yearbook. Uh, nice. <laughs> So this, this, this guy, a monitor, you know, who kind of became kind of an, uh, an entity in and of himself, uh, a bunch of us ultimately found ourselves suspended when we refused to back off on the whole Orwellian thing. Uh, and so it was a good lesson in how the established power structures tend to angrily lash out at the peons whenever we have the temerity to speak truths to power. So that's how long the idea has been percolating. Uh, I, I originally wrote it as a prose novel back in early 2003, 2004, but I wasn't satisfied with how the character interactions played out. I started drawing the graphic novel in 2008 uh, in the immediate aftermath of New York Comic Con that year. Uh, and from there, I took it to Boston Comic Con and realized, yeah, this, this must be written. This is a story that just must be told. Very cool. So the characterizations go back to your formative years as an anarchist. <laughs> they do indeed. <laughs> I never thought of you that way before, Peter. <laughs> But I'm kind of liking it. Yeah. So, so. It, 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 was, it was satisfying. The, the, the core of ten characters are uh, very loosely based on the, the gang of high school um, you know, miscreants who we all got suspended. I mean, they have taken on very different names, very different appearances. Uh, one central tenet of the story is that by the year 2050, you know, us, us pale-faced white folks are going to be kind of in the, in the minority, particularly in major urban areas like Boston. So of my core of 10 characters, only two of them are white. Uh, I, I feel that that's a much more realistic view of the future. I've got uh, two black individuals, one Korean, uh, one Cuban, uh, one Polynesian, two Greeks, uh, and uh, an Indian. So th- th- there's a whole lot less tokenism, but at the same time, I feel like it paints a much more realistic view of things. So th- that, that was a bit of a deviation from the norm. <laughs> so you have... 
a master plan for mm-hmm. this group of individuals. Yep. It's going to expand across seven graphic novels. Seven graphic novels, yep. The first novel will parallel the events of uh, the, the Boston Massacre and then uh, the events that led up to Lexington Concord. So that's, that's the beginning of the Revolutionary War. Volume 2 will be all about the uh, drafting and assigning of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, volume 3 will be uh, parallel the British capture of Philadelphia, the Battle of Saratoga, and Valley Forge. Uh, volume 4 uh, will be the formal alliances between the colonies and France and the uh, Battle of Monmouth Courthouse. Uh, and then it'll shift its strategy a little bit. It'll move out of New England and head south. Uh, and this is going to be kind of a, the midpoint of the whole story, that the, my, the cast of characters is rising high. Now, dramatically, they must fall. <laughs> so. Now, is this a, way to, a backdoor way to try to get kids to like history? Uh, it, it very much is. Uh, I feel that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of American history. Um, I, I am, by trade, a computer trainer. Uh, but I also uh, teach at a local community college, uh, and I would very much love to teach American history as a course. The simple, sad reality is that so many Americans, their last exposure to American history as a course was when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Absolutely. It wasn't necessarily a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't necessarily a good experience. I mean, it's something that's so easily forgotten because, let's face it, you weren't really that engaged. And um, the American Revolution is a particularly fascination of mine. So I thought paralleling the events of the late 1770s and the early 1780s and then translating that across into a setting in the year 2049 all the way up to the year 2055, uh, and again, paralleling the same events uh, in the sense that there's uh, a new revolution that takes place, only this time it's not the British Redcoats, it's the American government that is being rebelled against. And so, unfortunately, that uh, it might get me put on some, uh, some radar, uh, uh, the wrong kinds of radar in, in the, uh, <laughs> the weeks and the months ahead. You're not uh, flying in the pursuit, right? I'm sorry? You're not flying anywhere soon, are you? <laughs> not in the immediate future, no. Here, although if I get pulled aside for a second or a third level search, I'll know that. Well, okay, I guess my book is finally popular here. I guess I can take <laughs> so, Peter, when is the book actually due out? Volume it is one. due out tomorrow, the fourth of July, and that will be the print version and the electronic version. You can download straight to your Kindle. And I promise the electronic version does cost us significantly less than the print version. <laughs> 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 so we will we will have the links on the website to that yep. uh, as you go to conventions this year will they be able to buy copies of your book there as well uh, absolutely uh, and sadly uh, you mentioned Boston Comic Con which I unfortunately will not be able to attend this Aww. year but uh, uh, prior commitment but I will be appearing uh, uh, at uh, Granite State Comic Con and later in the uh, uh, later this winter it'll be uh, Rhode Island Comic Con and I'll be Selling, uh, I'll be flogging it mercilessly uh, and uh, also feverishly working on volume two because, again, Christine has set the bar kind of high. And so if I want to get volume two, I've got exactly 366 days. (laughs) It's just some amazing work you've done. I'm humbled to be on the same show with you there. (laughs) Thank you. But yeah, I've got uh, I've got quite a bit of work to do if I want to crank out volume two in time for Fourth of July on uh, twenty year twenty four twenty fifteen. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's uh, it's been rewarding. It, it's been something somewhat new for me. Uh, you know, before it's just been I'm doing uh, contract work for other publishers and other artists. But this this is my baby. So, 
if I die tomorrow, at least I will have put a piece of myself into the world, and this this will be my legacy. So I hear you. <laughs> Very nice. So the good news is you've you you've taken a new direction. The better news is, even though you're not going to be at Boston, you'll be at cons across the Northeast in the next couple of months as well. And with any luck at all, we're looking forward to a seven-book series from you. Peter, I can't wait to see this, which means I'm probably going to get on Amazon and order it tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm very honored. And thank you again for uh, sharing the uh, video uh, that uh, is, is hyping this. Uh, that, that's the uh, courtesy of the wonderful film studio uh, up here in uh, Woodsville, New Hampshire. They're called Now Shooting. Uh, they do a lot of uh, small commercials and short films, and they very graciously made this uh, hey, they did. video. That was a really cool job that they did, too. It exceeded my expectations. They're, they're an amazing group. The book is called Book One of the Monitors Guild by Peter Vinton Jr. We're also talking with Christine Rausch for Anniversary Day. I can't thank you both for uh, giving us an enjoyable hour of fun. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Have a wonderful Independence Day, all of you. You took the book. It sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Knowing Peter as we do, it will be. Kriana, talk about what's happening in the next couple of weeks. Well, next week we preview the art of Brian Roll, who will be at Boston Comic Con in just a few short weeks. Then on the 19th, Erica Schultz, the creator of the comic M3, a beast. Sorry. No, that is another BCC preview. I got confused. I thought I was looking at the wrong thing. No, no. I thought I was seeing double! We've got them coming Triple! Up Quintuple! Exactly. And then on the 26th, The Art of Brandon Barrows. And on August 2nd, writer Jenny Wood. Dead redhead. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, PopCultureExpo.com, Rhode Island Comic Con, BooksAndBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. And check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Our intro music is by Rob Watts, and you can find his work on RobWattsOnline.com. Doom. Monitors Guild by Peter Vinton Jr. Christine Rausch's Anniversary Day. And... Our incredible cast that comes through for us every week. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our grammar person, Zombarian. Thank you much, ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Speaking yeah, yeah. of Fourth of July, there's fireworks at our window le- right now. <laughs> From the Four Color Vault of Comics, great thanks to the dead redhead. Oh, we have lots of loud booming going on, so I can't tell if it's the thunder or the fireworks. <laughs> Probably both. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Okie dokie. Hello.